0: So beginning in verse 3, he gave us six illustrations to show the power of the tongue. This illustration will fall in three groups. And the first two will be in the next verses, 3 and 4. My words have the power to direct. My words have the power to direct. Verse 3, we can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in his mouth. In his mouth. And a small rudder makes a huge ship turn whatever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. If you can imagine that little bit in the mouth of the horse, the reins that they put in there, like the jockey who's trying to ride a horse or somebody who's trying to ride a horse, you know, you can be in that animal and control it and direct it wherever you want to go. You pull it this way, it moves that way. I mean, that is not a small animal. There are some horses who are so strong, and they had the power to not obey you, even with those small bits. But they learn to be tamed that way. So the same situation happened with a big boat. It's no comparison, but remember, James is talking about those little boats. He's not talking about the huge ships that we see nowadays. But in comparison, even those huge ships have a, a small rudder in comparison with the, the rest of the body of the, the ship. So they, those little rudders are directing the position. James is saying that the tongue, even though it's small, two ounces bit placed in the mouth, controls the direction of our lives. We need to be careful about our tongue. You know, the Lord gave us the tongue. He put it inside our mouth. And that's not enough. Our mouth is like a cage for that tongue. And he even gave us, for some of us, bars which is our teeth, so that tongue cannot escape. The problem is when we open the mouth, we open the doors and say whatever we want to say. We just need to be careful with the words that we're saying. Although our words may seem small, they have tremendous power to direct the lives of others. We as teachers of the word, we need to be careful the way that we teach the Bible because we can cause people to go in a different direction. We can direct them To a place that God doesn't want them to go. And we are gonna be taken seriously by the Lord, by the way that we teach His Word. So, my words had the power to direct, my words had the power to destroy. The second analogies that He used are here in verse five. He says, In the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches, but a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. And among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It's a whole world of wickedness corrupting your entire body. It can set the whole life on fire, for it set on fire by hell itself. Those are strong words. You have seen in the news lately, well, in the last few years, you have seen the big fires that happen in the state of California. In many occasions, those fires are caused by lightning, but most of the time are caused by a small something. Somebody just lit a match, or they forget to, you know, uh, put water on that little fire that they're making for camping. For whatever reason, those little things cause wildfires. A tiny spark holds the power to destroy thousands and thousands of acres of forest. James is comparing that. The power of the tongue has the same power. A small part can cause a great harm if it's not controlled. How impactful is the word in somebody else's mind? Just imagine this. Imagine that you have a pillow full of feathers. And you go up to the twenty-fifth story in the building, and then you decided to open the pillow and let all the feathers to fly away. For you to recover the words that you say that are harmful to people is like trying to pick up one by one those feathers and put it back in the pillow. That is strong is the impact of a small thing like the tongue. It is certainly appropriate. You have this picture in your mind of the damage that words can cause in other people. Somebody, carelessly spoken, has a potential of something that is devastating. Words can start by the power of words. Divisions in churches can start by the power of words. Divorces can happen in a marriage by the power of words. Sometimes you have no idea when I've been doing in pastoral guidance, the reasons why a person wants to divorce. Sometimes it's just because there was not enough peanut butter and jelly in the bread, or a tortilla burned down that was not attended. Just little excuses caused that the person decided not to continue in that relationship. Another, Another interesting thing in verse six Is that these words are coming from hell. This tongue is inspired by the fire of hell. What is he talking about? James is thinking a familiar idea. What happened, for instance, in the first century, around the city of Jerusalem, there is a a place that is the Valley of Henry. When he's saying Hades, he's thinking about Jehenna. And it's a place where they put all the, the, the dump and everything, all the trash, they put them in there and they burn it. And it keeps burning because people just bring in the trash all the time. So that is a place that is always burning. That's the idea about a lake of fire that we read in the scripture, something that is never gonna be ending. And he's saying that from the evil desires that are in our hearts, all the evil that is right there because of our sinful nature, our tongue has been inspired by that fire. It's a constant thing. If we don't shake our heart, our tongue will be uncontrollable. So the second picture James is using here in verse 7 is about wild animals. Verse 7 says, people can tame all kinds of animals, except for cats. I try. <laughs> Birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. So, if we know that there is animals who can be trained, seals, lions, elephants, other animals, but there is one beast that is not able to be controlled or tamed. Not even Cesar Millan, who is the dark whispers, can do anything with that. The tongue is like a wild animal that needs to be tamed. And we cannot do this without God's wisdom. James said, no man can tame the tongue. If no human being can tame the tongue, why bother trying? Even though we may not achieve perfect control of our tongues, the Holy Spirit will help us to learn self-control. Remember that we are not fighting the tongue's fire in our own strength. We're using God's strength through his Holy Spirit to help us to control our tongue. So when we are criticized, the Spirit will help us not to overreact. We choose the attitude toward whatever we heard somebody saying about us. The tongue is powerful, it's a dangerous beast. But remember, sometimes, sometimes that tongue can be helpful to do great things. Look at verse nine. Sometimes I praise, he praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes he curses those who have been made in the image of God. And so blessing and cursing came pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. Our contradictory speech often puzzles us. We can be here on a Sunday morning singing the praises to the Lord, and as soon as we finish the song, and we walk through these doors, we start criticizing someone. How can that be, is what James is trying to understand. We should this speech God listens? Like the family who was sitting together eating breakfast. The dad was complaining about the situations in life. Then he started complaining about that the coffee was cold, and the eggs were not done right, and the bacon is not completely cooked. Oh, but before that, he starts saying graces to the Lord, giving thanks for the food. So the little girl was asking the dad, Daddy, you gave God thanks for the food. Do you think God listens to you when you gave thanks for the food? Of course he did. He mentioned it with self-assurance. And do you think he listens also when you were complaining about mom, mom breakfast? Um, yeah. So which one of those God will pay more attention to? That's the interesting thing. In what ways we worship God, but at the same time we are saying some words against those who bear God's image. We were made in God's image, but the tongue gave us a picture of a basic sinful nature. God works to change us from the inside out. When we allow the Holy Spirit, we can start seeing how he can help us to control our speech. The last few illustrations are in the few verses 11 to 12. My words not only have the power to direct, not only have the power to destroy, my words also can have the power to delight. Does a spring of water bubble out with both fresh and water and bitter water? Does a fig tree produce olives or a grapevine produce figs? No, and you can't you can draw fresh water from a salty spring. It's interesting to put this in perspective. It's talking about the inconsistency of our tongue sometimes. Nature is consistent. We as human beings are inconsistent. in our words are inconsistent. In the 21st century, it's really difficult to understand what James is trying to present here. Because we have houses, we run in water. And we can get whatever food we want from the grocery store. It's hard for us to understand the significance of these two items in our culture in comparison with the 1st century. We all know that whatever is necessary to sustain life is there. Anything, we just go in and get it. But James, in his day, it was not easy to get fresh water. So that's why he's talking about how beautiful is those words when they're used wisely can be a refreshment. But unlike humankind, nature is, incons- nature is consistent. The humankind. His tongue is inconsistent. Peach trees don't produce poisonous mushrooms. But only the human heart is capable of producing inconsistencies. That's why we need God's wisdom. And when we start verses 13 to 18, we see that the wisdom from above is what we need. We have a tendency to think about wisdom, about intellect or intelligence. Practical knowledge. For instance, knowledge, we say, is knowing that your car ran on gas. And wisdom is putting gas in the tank. Well, this idea is how we as Westerners can see wisdom. James, being a Hebrew, understands wisdom in a different way. In his mind, it has to do with the skill. It has to do with our daily living, the way that we're supposed to live. So what we can say about James' application for this word is speaking to his area and saying, not only you need to say the right things at the right time, but also you need to live those things in your daily life. James here is moving wisdom from the abstract realm to a practical, more concrete way to tell that true wisdom can be demonstrated through our actions, not just with our speech. Just as you can identify the tree by the type of fruit that produces, you can identify a wise person by the way that that person lives his or her life." So in verse 13, we read, "If you are wise and understand God's way, prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom, the humility, the meekness that comes from wisdom. It's, a, it's an important word. Because it's not necessarily being a doormat for somebody else. Humility is an attribute. And it means power under control. Like those horses that he's talking about earlier. They're strong. And they can, they can destroy you if they want to. But they are under control. That's what a humble. That's what a meek. When Jesus Christ considered himself meek, he knows the powerful God he is but he is putting that power under control. So the first thing that James has mentioned is living an honorable honorable thing. So it's important to live the way that we speak. The qualification for being wise has nothing to do with your IQ or your ability to pack away facts or your impressive eloquence. The great wisdom, the test of wisdom that he's talking about is patterned after the truth that is under control. So for the rest of this time this morning, I'm just going to share with you two types of wisdom that James is referring here. The first one is worldly wisdom, and the second one is divine wisdom. The first one, worldly wisdom. In con- contrast with God's wisdom, which is characterized by change and control life, James reveals the fruit of the worldly wisdom. Verse 14 says, but if you are bitterly jealous and there is selfish ambition in your heart, do you notice? In your heart, the two marks, jealousy and selfish ambition, are deeply embedded motives in an unwise heart. People often confuse jealousy with envy. Do you know that is a difference? Envy begins with empty hands and mourns for what doesn't have. Jealousy begins with full hands but is threatened by the thought that losing what that person has. So the second mark here is selfish ambition. It's a motive that drives people to push themselves to the top, even if they can't stop on somebody else's head. He says, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. Because the natural inclination of human wisdom is not simply to ignore, to dodge the truth. It is to lie against it. So it is important that we see this type of wisdom. What is coming from? Verse 15 tells us where it's coming from. For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly and spiritual and demonic. Earthly. Worldly wisdom has an earthly origin. The term earthly describes the natural state, the state of uh, separation with God. It views everything from the horizontal perspective, earthly success, earthly standard, earthly motives, earthly attitudes, earthly methods, earthly ing- everything. Then it's the natural, the unspiritual. It's the fleshly, not related to the spirit of God. And it's also mentioned that it's demonic. This mindset is characterized by demons. They are brilliant and know a great deal, even about God, but there is no change in them. That's the type of human wisdom that James is talking about. In verse 16, he reminds us of the first fruits of this kind of wisdom, earthly wisdom, bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. He says, for whatever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. By disorder, he means more than just confusion. He means disharmony, antagonism. And the absence of unity and stability. When a teaching results in rivalry, rather than building up in love, it's not wisdom from above, it's wisdom from below. Able of every kind. When human wisdom is taught, it fits the lead of all sorts of worthless and petty. It's like the Pandora's box that we learn in mythology, in Greek history. When it's true that a tree can be best measured when it's down, the fruits of the tree is best measured when it's up. And that's what James is telling us. Jesus says in Matthew 12, 33, that a tree is known by the fruits. Well, a Christian, a wise person is known, what they did. But what they do and what they say. Then we have divine wisdom, the second kind of wisdom. In verse 17 and 18, Jeremy is telling us the important the importance of seeking the wisdom of above, God's wisdom, and apply it into our lives. But the wisdom from above is first, first of all, pure. It's also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It's shown no favoritism and is always sincere. Pure. The word first, not only means first and the least, but also important. The primary harvest of divine wisdom is purity. Freedom from defilement without contamination, clean. The Bible teaches that no man has seen God. Then what did Jesus mean when he said that only God is pure? In Matthew 5.8. Blessed are the pure in heart because they shall see God. Purity clears our vision and we can see God at work in everything we do. It's peaceable. It's making peace. It's a peacemaker. This is the difference between a divine harvest of peace and the natural products of human wisdom, which are listed in verse 14. Gentle. There is no word in the English or Spanish language who can actually tell us about this word in the Greek. It can be uh, being equitable, fair, moderate, tolerant, but those words fall short. William Berkeley is the one who tells us a little bit, an idea of what gentle is this kind of wisdom. He says, the man who, the man who is wise, who knows when it's actually wrong to apply to the strict letter to the law, he knows how to forgive when a strict justice gives gives him the perfect right to condemn. He knows how to make allowances when not to stand upon his rights, how to temper justice with mercy. Always remember that there is a greater things in the world than rules and regulations. He is also that wisdom is also open to reason. That phrase alludes to obedience and agreeable. It's teachable. It's merciful, full of good fruits. The natural wisdom we inherit from our flesh infuses with cynicism and hardnesses. harshness, especially toward the suffering of others. But this one, this one is full of mercy, compassion to others. It's also impartial. The idea here is, is someone who has no favoritism, somebody who can treat things. We just, is sincere. The opposite of being hypocritical. Somebody who is not putting a mask to show something that he not really is. So, what's the result? What is the result of this kind of wisdom? According to what James is telling us in verse 18 And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap harvests of righteousness. So, to understand this verse, we must remember that James. In James, peace means being rightly related to one another, not necessarily rightly related to God. He's talking about the relationship that we have to one another. So the writer of Proverbs says, those who control their tongue will have a long life. Opening your mouth can ruin everything. Let me share with you this story In the Taurus Mountains of southern Turkey, there are cranes. These cranes make a crackling sound. If you're not awake, let me do it again. They can't help it. It's in their natural to crackling. They do it all day, especially when they're flying. The problem is when they're flying, if they're flying all the time from one place to the other one, they're doing the crackling. The problem is the eagles are listening to those crackling. And when they start listening to the crackling of these cranes, they swoop and get them and they have their lunch. So the more trained ones, the more, you know, seasoned ones learn a trick. Before they're gonna start flying, they pick a rock and they put it in their mouth and they put it in the mouth of their babies. So when they're flying, they're not doing the they're not, they're not But they can do And the eagles cannot listen to them. Because they know there is an enemy out there who can devour them. So because they know there is something out there who wants to destroy them, they control the mouth so they are not bait for the enemy. There is an enemy out there for all of us as Christians. And it's listening to what we're saying to one another. What we say about our class workers, co-workers, spouse, parents, children. They're listening. And he will send his demons to attack us and devour us. They will send his demons to divide us, even as a church members. So what I will ask you to start doing is stop doing the crockling. Go, 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 go. And start asking the Holy Spirit to put a rock in your mouth so every time that you try to soar like an eagle, you're not becoming the launch for the eagles. So you can learn to tame your tongue. It's impossible for a human being, but everything is possible for God. And he can help us to do that. So I want you to stand on your feet and I want you to stand on your feet and I want you to stop crackling. No, 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 not that one. I want you to start thinking. I want you to become an encourager to others to say words, to to tame your tongue, to think before you speak so others can be edified instead of being destroyed by the comments that you might say. You need to be an ambassador of Christ whatever you are. Telling the truth in love with grace. Become an encourager. I want you to speak the truth in love. Confess one another when they fall in short. And ultimately, confess Jesus as Lord. So you're having problems with your tongue? Try this. Because the tongue defiles, ask the Lord for his help. Remember, Jesus' words in Matthew 15 It's actually the heart who is defiled. You need to protect your heart. You need to take care of your heart. We can ask ourselves, do our words uplift somebody or are they going to be destroying someone? We must strive to use the words wisely. Number two, because the tongue defiles think before speaking. Grab a rock. If that fits, put it in your mouth. So we must exercise self-control and think before speaking. We should also take responsibility for the words that we speak and seek forgiveness for the harm we have caused. And lastly, because the tongue displays what you really are, let your words be few, slow to speak, quick to listen. The inner person hiding behind a nice image we protect others, always seems to find opportunities to reveal itself through the tongue. Who you are will be revealed by the way that you speak, and people are noticing. So the fruit of the lips find its source in the root of our soul. And we understand that our hearts are in a bad place without the Holy Spirit. But he can help us to tame that tongue. He can help us to calm that heart. We just need to ask him for his help. Following this formula can be as effective as putting a stone like this in your mouth. We need to pray for God's wisdom, brothers and sisters. We need to ask him to guide us in our speech, knowing that our words had the power to impact the lives of people surrounding us and even our own lives. So let us commit using our tongues to glorify God and edify others. As the psalmist says, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let's pray together. O Lord, we learn that the tongue measures the maturity of our own faith. We claim that we believe in you. We claim, Father, that we love you. We express, Father, that you are the most important person in our lives. But with the word, we say one thing. And with our actions, we say the opposite sometimes. Just help us, Father. Help us to be consistent. Help us, Father, to tame our tongue. To think before I speak and to let our words just to be few so we can listen more. And just as we are, Father, in the way that you love us, let our lips, let our tongue to glorify you. Understanding, Father, there is no power within me but the power of the Holy Spirit resides in me who can help me to be the kind of person that you want us to be. Help me with my words and help me to live the kind of life that you expected me to live. And as a church father, we ask you that you can help us to demonstrate to others that we are the Bible that many people will read. But they are not going to be reading by the words that we say, by by the actions that we take. Help us to be doers of your word, not just hearers. And we worship you with this beautiful song, Lord, as a prayer, telling you, Father, that we are here. And we want to honor you. And we want to declare that you are the one who is the center of our lives. And isn't your son, Jesus Christ, I will pray.